Welcome to Songs and Stories, the Not For Musicians Only music podcast. Well, already welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither, and this is Songs and Stories episode number 85. You know, we're getting really close to episode 100 of these things, so I got to think of something kind of cool to do for the, the big monument coming up, the big milestone number 100 coming up in probably a couple of months. So if you have any ideas what I should do, let me know, and I'll see if I can incorporate them. Anyway, we're going to do a, another couple of back-to-back episodes here, 85 followed by 86, and we're going to be talking with a couple of guys who uh, I was fans. I was fans of. I was a fan of. I'm so good with English. I was a fan of long before they became friends. Um, if you go way back into the archives of songs and stories, over at michaelgather.com, in episodes 25 and 26, I st- I talked with uh, Dan Kai along with bass player Steve Ocello about their work together, and then I followed that up with uh, episodes 27 and 28, which was a two-part talk with Santa Cruz, California songwriter Keith Greninger. The reason I back those together is because they collaborate a lot on their music together. If you're uh, out here in the Bay Area, we we know them quite well, but uh, Dan plays on Keith's CDs. Keith has contributed to some work on Dan's last couple of CDs, and they've been together for collaborating off and on for about 10 years, as we'll learn in this chat we're about to hear. They've just released their first official duo CD, Keith Greninger and Dan Kai, Make It Rain. And it's just a really nice, I don't want to use the word subdued, but it's just it's got a very live, natural sound to it. And part of the reason for that is besides the fact that these guys have been playing together for a long time and they're very good at what they do, uh, there's another thread here. If you go back a couple episodes, I talked with uh, a band called Houston Jones. I followed that up with a two-part interview with Bay Area producer Cookie Marenko, who works only on two-inch analog tape. Now, Cookie produced the last two Houston Jones CDs, and she also produced this new record, Make It Rain, done by Keith and Dan, which they actually did at Cookie's Belmont, California studio in one eight-hour session. So I kind of linked all of these episodes together for that reason, because a lot of the same things came up in the discussions. What we're going to focus on in this is really just talking to Keith and Dan about their collaboration together and working with Cookie, and we're going to hear... In this first piece, we'll hear a, a couple of ep- a couple of song samples from the CD itself, and then in part two, we'll hear them do a couple things live uh, from the new release. And it's it's a pretty cool record. It's a it's a combination of some original tunes from both Keith and Dan, along with uh, quite a few cover tunes that are kind of become live show audience favorites. And they've put those together on this record, and it's really a nice listen. So I think what I'll do is keep my talking short because there's a lot of good chatter coming up in this interview. I want to get right to it. One quick note, if you are new to Songs and Stories, there are links to go with both of these interviews, both halves of them, at michaelgather.com. Again, it's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-G-A-I-T-H-E-R.com. If you look for the section for Songs and Stories 85 and 86, which will be prominently displayed on the top of the first page that you go to, you'll find links to Keith and Dan's site, their sites, their CDs, and uh, their tour schedule and some other information that we'll talk about during this chat. So let's get right to it, or let's eventually get to it, now that I'm done introing the piece. 
let's hear a couple of uh, clips from the new CD, Make It Rain. Let's hear, oh, let's see. Ruby and Rosie, a Keith Greninger original, and one of my very favorite songs. Let's hear a bit of Ruby and Rosie, and then we'll hear their cover of Friend of the Devil, and then we'll talk with Keith Greninger and Day and Kai around my kitchen table.
ask, how long have you been playing together? We'll start the interview now, I guess. How long? How many years has it been? And it's been almost eleven years. <clears throat> has it been eleven? Yeah. I thought I thought this was like the ten year mark or something since we've like known 90, each other. It was like ninety-eight, I think. Was it ninety-eight? Yeah. Yeah. Keith's starting to, you know, the time thing. He's senile. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I that was just a couple of years ago. Yeah, it, it's like I don't know, maybe in in this June or something. It'll be about yeah. eleven years. Wow. So I think when I talked to you and Steve a couple of years ago... Joe, My balls hadn't dropped yet. <laughs> That's <Sorry>. staying in. <laughs> Have they? <laughs> Not yet. I'm still... I'm working on it. Very serious interview. Really yes. to the heart of things. But I think you said you and Steve got together. You were thinking about trying to back up other songwriters. That well, was that was of, part that was of one the, of the intentions. Yeah, that you, was our mission. You met Keith and it, that all fell apart. It well, was Keith. Yeah, yeah. We, no, we... Uh, actually... Um, yeah, that was kind of one of the missions of, of Water when we first mm-hmm. got together was to do our own stuff and be original, but also be the kind of band that could could work with other groups. I right. mean, sort of like, you know, you look at, I don't know, Bonnie and Delaney and how, you know, they kind of had Dwayne Allman and Greg and Eric Clapton and everybody kind of played with them. And mm-hmm. Sort of, or the Dead, you know, the Dead always kind of modeled that, that sort of thing where they would, you know, play, uh, back other people up and... I just always thought that's a sign of a great band, you know, if you could make someone else sound good. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our goal. Yeah. yeah, and then, yeah, we started playing with Keith, and then, you know, band broke up. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a Keith Granger <clears throat> and Waters CD. Oh, de- definitely. We, yeah. You know, when we Which met... Which was your second CD, but it was the first one you guys all played together on. Right, right. Yeah. No, we played together, I mean, for, for a long time as a band, when I met... Um, Dan and Steve and Art, and I believe I think I met all three of them. Well, I had met Art once before that. He mm-hmm. he had played um, at a show I was doing um, right after I put out When We Were Crossing. He played right. piano with me on that show. But um, Dan and I had a, had a really good mutual friend who kept kind of mentioning to each of us, "Oh, you got to meet my friend Keith mm-hmm. someday, or you got to meet my friend Dan." Um, but when once we did meet and stuff, we all played together. You know, they I kind of just. You know, loved having these guys as my backup band, and you know, really right away. And really, to say the word backup band is never, you know, I mean, it's like I personally don't like to even, no matter who I'm playing with, I like to think of it as you know, collaborators. Sure. When you're playing, but as soon as we we all started playing together, it was kind of like we did a lot of playing together, and we did a lot of touring together. Mm -hmm. Shortly after we met, I had some tours going in Oregon, and I just invited these guys along, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we've had some fantastic experiences traveling up through the northwest and out in the southwest you know and uh their versatility was just a dream come true for and then, me yeah and then you with know. you dan i mean what instrument would you like on this song i mean i think last time i asked you what you played i should have asked you what you don't play. yeah right right you know that brings no, and, up, that, bring, that gives you a lot to, to colors to play with too as a songwriter it probably. does and it was also really a, a great opportunity for us you know to work with someone like Keith who had who had been out and toured and had made some forged some connections and had some experience and knew some of the do's and don'ts of oh, right. touring you know yeah. I mean for us that was something that we wanted to do and we were looking toward doing and uh, so Keith really facilitated helping us kind of get out on the road and learn about some of that stuff and you know subsequent to that uh, touring by myself or with other groups I've I've really uh Grown, you know, I really appreciate that. Looking back, just how much I learned from those first experiences, mm-hmm. and yeah, it was a, it was a kind of a, a perfect match, you know. You know, sounds like it. Whatever, whatever you want to say about life and, and the way things go, I think a lot of times, 
you know, uh, people, you know, we find each other on the journey, no matter mm-hmm. what. It doesn't matter what it's musical or, you know, anything. Um, you know, you keep your nobody mind and your by, heart nobody open. Nobody meets by accident. Yeah, you know, and you put stuff out to the universe. I can remember, you know, because I had been playing with, with City Folk for quite a few years, mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, Roger and Kimmel and I kind of, you know, cut our professional teeth, so to speak, together, mm-hmm. jumped in a van and started touring, you know. Um, and so when, when the City Folk thing kind of, you know, ended and, and I started doing my solo stuff, as much as I, you know, enjoy playing and, and doing some solo stuff, my favorite part of music is interacting with other musicians. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's just always going to be my favorite part. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling my wife at a certain point, I said, Dan will get a kick out of this, but I, rem- I can remember saying to her, you know, I need to just find some really talented young guys who, uh, <laughs> you know, don't have families and kids yet and, and really want to go out on the road for an experience, you yeah. know, and uh, I, it couldn't have been more than a few weeks that we all connected and, and bam, you know, here, here came these talented group of cats and we just had a ball. Sounds know? like it. And, uh, you know, we, not to Timing's mention everything. just the way we like to tour, you know, yeah. I mean, we would always, people would say, well, we got hotel rooms for you and we'd be like, no, no, we're going to sleep out by the river in the camp, you know, yeah. I mean, that's just the way we all like to do it at that point and, yeah. and still, you know, in a yeah. lot of ways. So there was that nice connection there. Right, right. Well, I was curious. So, when you were traveling with city folk, how far did you guys travel? I mean, compared to that, like Northwest, or did you, have you did kind of the same route? City folk, we, you know, we our very first tour. I mean, you know, serious tour. We basically jumped in a van and drove from uh, Oakland to Greenwich Village and back to Oakland. So it was a it was a two or three thing. month yeah mm-hmm. endeavor and. You know, what we did was, at that time, and this was in the uh, late 80s, I think our first tour was maybe 89 or something, you know, and the, and the quote, new folk revival mm-hmm. was happening. And there was this trail of, um, you know, coffee houses and, you know, that you could pretty much just, you know, call these places, steal somebody else's tour schedule, call the place, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This was before it really broke open completely and... and you know, now there's a lot more artists on that trail. But right. at the time... And fewer places to play in some exactly. cases. Yeah. yeah. And so... A no lot competition whatsoever just... for places to play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was... So that's what we did. And we just, uh, you know, you sleep on people's floors. And yeah. none of us had families at the time. Or, you know, so you were flexible and you were able to go. It was very flexible. And it was, you know, I mean, there were some wonderful things about it. There was mm-hmm. also some hard things about it. But it was a great experience. Yeah. And we did... About three of those kind of tours over the course of maybe a couple of years, mm-hmm. and had built up, you know, started to get a nice following on the East Coast. And, right. You know, the amazing things were in the middle of the country too at the time. You know, you'd come across these just incredible gigs. You know, mm-hmm. out in the middle of Iowa, or you know, these places that would sh- you know kind of keep you going between the bigger cities. You know, and it was. Uh, you probably find these pockets of communities that are just really open to acoustic original music that you wouldn't think about. They'd be there. Yeah, well, I mm. think that's true anywhere. We, you yeah. and I were talking about aromas, and they yeah. contested this. You know, as much as you know, we love going into big cities. You, the best shows always come from the smaller communities that um, don't get as much. You know, they're not overwhelmed all the time right. by where am I going to see tonight. It's like you come into their town and they show up, mm-hmm. and they're present and they appreciate it. You know, yeah. and mm. uh, you know they may not. You know the numbers may not be as big as your big city shows, but man, the energy and the support that comes out of that that lasts for years and years. Eh, Dan? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. I think without the saturation, I think well, it gives everyone an opportunity to be more real. Mm-hmm. There's just more opportunity for us to connect to our fans, and 
the fans have more interest in doing that. And I think, yeah, it's, uh, we've definitely forged some long relationships with people through just happening, happening to come through the small town and, and then meet somebody who maybe has a similar interest or is a guitar maker or a woodworker or, you know, you have something in common. <laughs> they say, hey, next time you come through, why don't we do such and such? Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, you know, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot of really kind of the, the folk tradition, really. Yeah, I think it was, I've got to be good pals with Chuck McCabe the last couple of years and they, yeah. him and Jay Howard are always up and, well, not always, but they, they play Reading frequently and Chuck said, you know, they're, they're hungry for good acoustic music. They may not realize it, but when we go, he goes, we're successful. We do well up there. Mm-hmm. So it's another little pocket along the way where people just respond to the music. Yeah. Well, it's also breaking it down again to just general human interaction. Anytime right. you see somebody come in front of you and give you everything they can of whatever craft they And they've have, come a long way. Whatever they're yeah. a, whether they're a carpenter or a doctor or yeah. a musician, whatever, that's a real noble offering on the human level and it, and I think you know I can remember times because I've spent a lot of time living in small communities in my adult life mm-hmm. and I mean there's nothing like you know being way up in some little town in Vermont and you know seeing Utah Phillips come through and play at the local church and give you every piece mm-hmm. of his wisdom and you know whatever he's got right. give it to and you're just like you walk out of there and there was maybe a hundred people in the church and you look up at the sky and you go man this is like as good as it gets and so in turn, as a as a performing artist, that's what I think about, especially when you go into the small communities, which is, mm. hey, you know, we're bringing whatever we have. Yeah. Let's give everything we got and, and lift this place up for the night, you know. Yeah. And it's all, a lot of good magic comes out of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it is also true what you're saying about, you know, in a small community, that, that there's, that's what's happening that night. I mean, yeah. you hear stories about, you know, John Hammond playing to six people, <clears throat> you know, in big cities. But that's because... You know who who else was playing that night? What other museum exhibits were on? You know all that. You're all competing that for you have competing events. Yeah, and I think when um, there's something to be said for hey, what's going on tonight on Friday? Well, at the such and such building where we all gather every Friday tonight will be this, and so you know that's okay. That's what everybody does. Yeah, you know. Yeah. It's, but uh, well, it's like I think that the converse of that is even locally here, booking a a Santa Cruz area gig during the summertime. The first thing I, I look at is what else is going on that time of year, right? You know, who yeah, what other festivals with? are happening? What other? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is it a graduate? Like I do this thing at the winery in June, but up, up in Scotts Valley, and it's like, okay, is that going to be the graduation weekend, or right. is it the weekend afterwards? You know, so right, or is that the solstice festival, or is that the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you play the local Grange halls, and that's what they go out and do. I like I said that night. I love Grange halls yeah, I remember because that they the, are yeah. intended for that purpose you know churches and grange halls and and old theaters are just community gathering places they're just amazing places to be i mean not not just in the sense that the building was designed to listen to music or to dance but also just all that all that vibration that's in those buildings all those experiences all those points of ecstasy that people reach you Mm -hmm. know over over say like a a place like the aromas grange where it's like a century of that has been going on like bill was saying they had to put a new floor in because they danced they danced the floor away they had to re- redo the floor in there. You know, what a concept. Was that a great problem to have? Yeah, I mean... We danced too much, we need a new floor. We wore out the floor. I mean, that's... <laughs> so, and I just feel honored anytime I get to be in the, those kind of situations. Yeah. It's just amazing. Yeah. You know. Or, you know, you play these these old these old buildings that have, you know, hey, Bob Dylan was here. Or, you know, you hear these stories about, oh, you know, Woody Guthrie played here and he said this. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's just cool, you know. Yeah. Cool. The new album, Make It Rain, how is it different than your other albums? It's more of a duo piece this time. 
Yeah, this you've one got is, some folks is, backing you up, but uh, right, it's it's a you know piece to to showcase kind of the development in a lot of ways of of just mine and Dan's musical friendship and relationship, which mm-hmm. has always been pretty much in you know uh, equal parts. I mean, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he uh, he's a huge part when we play together. It's you're seeing two people fifty fifty. I mean, this guy, you know, contributes every bit as much as I ever did or would. So we've always kind of presented it like that, you know, um, especially when the two of us are just out touring, you mm-hmm. know, just a, as a duo, which we've done a lot in the last few years. And so, you know, um, we had the opportunity to do some work with Cookie. We had been talking about how we wanted to um, just make a very simple record mm-hmm. that captured, you know, how we like to present our music and the natural dynamics of what we do. and. We just figured the best way to do that would be to go in and work with her just live. Just the two of us playing. We brought uh, Steve and Jimmy in for a few tunes, but mm-hmm. most of it was like, let's just do what we do. If that's not good enough, then <laughs> <you know? laughs> then, 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 then we'll learn that. We'll understand that, you know, right. but uh, this is what we wanted. And, and I think in a lot of ways, too, it's it was a record we wanted to make for our, our hardcore fans who have well, seen a lot of the You picked a lot of, of covers of things we've heard live over the years. Yeah, a lot of the tunes we chose are, are tunes that people have come up to us after a show and said, uh, hey, is that on a CD? Or, or, you know, why don't you guys record that? And, and I think for Keith and I, as songwriters, it's always a little funny to, you know, especially if you've got a bunch of tunes and, you, and you're going to make a record, you kind of want to do your original stuff. Oh, and, yeah. and so, um, you know... But I always, have these songs. Right, yeah. right. And, uh, but it worked out really hard. Well, and I know yeah. that for myself, doing the, the Treat a Stranger Right record that I did before that was mm. primarily covers, it was just kind of a profound experience for me as a songwriter to work, to take someone else's song and, and make that my song. And uh, and I think some of these covers that we have done on this record, that's what we've done with those songs over the years. We've really, we've they've become our own. You know, we've really put our, our heart and soul into those songs. And yeah. so... Even though they are covers, they, they really are our version. It's your take on it. Which, yeah. And my thing about cover tunes is always, if you're going to do a song like the original, what's the point? Right, there's no point, I mean, generally. Yeah. So, yeah, and th- so these were songs that people just time and time again, were, oh, I wish you guys would dra- would record that, or, oh, I've got a, you know, someone would say, oh, I've got a great live, you know, thing that I got from somebody of you guys doing this tune, and when are you going to track it? And mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think for Keith and I, we just felt like, you know, that was kind of our set list for yeah. the, for the record. And then a couple of our original tunes and, and a couple of newer tunes that sort of made their way in just because we, st- we started liking them and they started fitting in the set. But it's really just a very intimate record that's just a good representation of kind of what we, what we do in front of people. Yeah, we uh, had a great you know, opportunity to work with, with Cookie Marenko on this because her natural sound techniques are so great. Mm-hmm. And, you know, recording on two-inch tape. Yeah. Um, is really wonderful for vocals, and that's kind of what Dane and I a lot of our emphasis is on. You know, when we when just the right the vocals and the it's kind of a natural place that we sing together. And you know, when we when we perform, we have kind of this volume, this this library of material that we draw from. And I think part of what what is is the feel that people get from our music and from our shows is that we're we want to be able to pull from, from things when we need to mm-hmm. for a show. It doesn't... I'm not really stuck on everything I do has to be my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm more stuck on 
the the library of material I've accumulated over my lifetime, you know, songs that I've heard that have moved me, whether, and if it's not my own song, then, then I can still reach in and grab that and bring it out to the audience at a time when it seems appropriate. Like, mm-hmm. let's go here right now. Yeah. You know, not let's just stay on this set list and let's just pu- push our own agenda of, you know, Keith's songs or Dan's songs, but yeah. more like, here we are, here's the spectrum of emotion we can draw from. Where do we want to go right now? And that's part of how we try to build our shows. And, and mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of what's cool about this record is it's just, like Dan was saying, it's a lot of stuff that we have pulled out in concert over the years that we had just never put on record. Yeah. And now and it's, it's, like, it's, 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 it's do that one. Okay, there, that's done. Move on. Yeah, we would yeah. play this tune two or three times just live yeah. in the process. Most of it was recorded in, you know, one eight-hour session. Really? And yeah. yeah. And I was going to say each tune three times, three or four times, and mm-hmm. then move on. It's kind of the that. jazz ethic of recording. You know, you you hear those stories about like Miles Davis. You know, they recorded four records in in a really short period of time, and they basically went in and did two takes of each tune. And if, like you say, if that wasn't good enough, well, it doesn't make it on the record. You know, you just move on. And that's personally, I just really like that way of. I mean, recording is an art. There's no denying it. And and you can get really deep into recording and editing and and layering and. That's a really beautiful thing to do, and it's a it's a totally separate process from for live music. But there's also just an art to capturing a live, intimate experience on tape, mm-hmm. and so it was nice to just m- move into that arena. More. Well, I think with with this the, with this selection of songs, because they're songs that people know you for live, it just it was a perfect fit. You know, they were yeah. songs you've heard live. You recorded them more or less live, and yeah, that's the record. Right. It's also been interesting to see how people who have never seen us perform live and weren't necessarily familiar with us at all, how they've responded to the record, um, which is which has been kind of a similar response in, in that in, in a certain way I think there's a real sense that they kind of they kind of know us after they hear it. They they feel mm. real close to us, and that's the feedback I've gotten, you know, through emails and stuff. People have bought the record um, that that maybe they heard about us or something like that, but. The, the response is very uh, emotional and, and real and, and very on a personal level. You know, not just, hey, I really appreciate this guitar solo or your harmonies, or but just a real sense of this makes me feel a certain way. This makes me feel good. And, and Yeah, we feel like a lot of that is also because of the sound of the record, the technique, not just yeah. us and our performances, but mm-hmm. we had actually talked about this a little bit when, you know, after we, we went in, which was there's there's this general concept across the board that, you know, the audience doesn't really know or feel sound so much. You know, mm-hmm. they're all just about. I, I don't. I never thought that that was true. You know, and I always feel like audiences are completely taken advantage of and, and thought of as as you know, just a, this non-listening group that you could just shove things their way. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things that people respond to on this record is actually the sound. I mean, the feel because. You know, the way that she mic'd everything, the fact that it's not overly compressed, it just, just doesn't have all these bells and whistles that make things seem huge. You know, there's and actually it, a dynamic, and, and there's mistakes in it, and there's, yeah. there's, there's you know... I haven't heard it, but I'll take your word for it. Well, and also, <laughs> there's, a, there's a dynamic range in this album that you don't typically hear yeah. uh, in modern ind- industry uh, standard, because uh, it isn't pushed up to the top. There's a lot more uh, room for the sound to get very quiet. But then also to really peak, you know, some of the some of the you know big strong vocal stuff that we hit, it, it peaks out as loud as any any industry standard record. But then it also drops way back, mm-hmm. and so kind it's of not over compressed, right? It's not even out of that. And so it bring, it's kind of coming back to what we were talking about uh, before the interview about the idea of when you're performing, 
that you know if the room is loud and you get quiet the room will get quiet well the right. record kind of has that same effect mm-hmm. that you know when it gets quiet you kind of want to go hey what's that you know where's it going and so, for the for the podcast this is, this is what we're talking about before they before i started recording was um when you're playing to a loud room, probably the worst thing you can do is try to play louder than the room. Then you just get this cacophony of, of noise. The room gets louder and you yeah. get tired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, volume makes... I, I found playing volume makes me really tired. Yeah. 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 And, well, and as a performer, you know, you learn over time how to pace, how to pace that stuff and how mm-hmm. to get more volume with less effort and, and right. things like that. But yeah, the longer the short of it is that if you're pushing hard, you're going to wear out faster. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Well, and just so for all, you know, the people who are listening to the podcast and other musicians to know, um, also for us, it takes a while for us to even get used to sometimes the more natural recordings. You know, uh-huh. I mean, because you know, I, I've I've had a few of these situations um, where you record in a natural setting, and you're so used to hearing the multi-track stuff that's just pumped up and compressed, and everything's right. huge. There have been a lot of times I've driven away from some of these sessions going, God, it sounds kind of thin, and where's all that, you know? And then over time, as your ear adjusts to it. But, you know, I mean, there's there's this place where even as the artist, you're going, well, God, can we pump it up? <laughs> can yeah. we make it bigger? <laughs> right, um, right, right. You know, but, but what's wonderful, I guess, getting back to my point, is that it's great to see the audience responding to the sound, not, mm-hmm. not just our performances and the material, but the feel of the record. I, that excites me as much as them liking our material and our performances. Is yeah. It just reminds me that people are listening and they are feeling beyond what they can even sometimes recognize. Right. You, know, you put a record on, and if you're not a you know professional musician or a technician or a sound you know mm-hmm. audiophile, it, you know it's it you, don't, nice. you don't know Whatever. how stuff yeah. works, but you know how it feels yeah. to you, yeah. and that's what's been fun to watch is keep people going. Man, this record just it feels great, and it's like. Right on. That means that we're going back. You know, mm-hmm. We're going back to, like, you know, Dan was mentioning, you know, some of the greatest records of all time were recorded in clubs with yeah. a couple microphones right. and yeah. jazz bands playing or rock bands playing. You know, I mean, these are things that you can play forever. Yeah. And you can put them right next to the most highly technical, perfectly recorded things, and you'll go to those. Mm-hmm. You know, you won't be suffering that it wasn't multi. You know, digitalized and compressed. You know, you just it wasn't. Don't. Well, the segue is great because I talked to Cookie last week. I interviewed Cookie last week, talking about the same the same thing. And um, I'll get to that. But it was last Friday night at Jansen Music here in town. Our friend Marky hosted um, Dorian Michael mm-hmm. and Kenny Blackwell. Nice. And so I interviewed Dorian. So he goes, "Well, bring your guitar down. We'll do a couple of your songs." So I just took my recorder and just just to have it because I'm kind of an audio pack rat. Put it on the back shelf in the room, and I played a couple of songs with them live, backing me up. And even though it was a little ragged, having these guys on both sides of me and hearing what came back, I'm like, can I just go back and record my last record with you guys and just stand here? There you go. <laughs> yes, yeah. you can. You probably should. <laughs> and it's funny what you say, though. Like, that spontaneous, uh, totally, yeah. Uh, I've been uh, recording a, a CD with um, the Hot Club of Spokane group mm. up there, and, and uh, <clears throat> we did a rehearsal. And my buddy brought in his laptop, and it just has the little mic, you know, for for dictation or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But we recorded some phrases that we were that we were working on for arranging. We went back and listened to it, and we we were joking around, but we were almost kind of dead serious to say like, "Hey, let's just record the album like this." It's kind of mono, it's kind of grainy, but like you can hear all the parts. Yeah. And there was a part of us just kind of going, "Hey, let's just make the album this way," you know, because it's just this one mic in the room and kind of 
I don't know. It's just a different, a different experience, you know, of, of, of sound. And it almost kind of makes it, it made it sound like an old record, you know, mm-hmm. just this kind of grainy, crummy little mic. And <laughs> <laughs> just need to put a scratching sound on it. Yeah, that's what we were saying. Put a little record noise yeah. on there and <laughs> needle dropping. But then we decided not to do that. And we're, I brought all my expensive mics and it did sound better, but. Yeah. <laughs> so what was working with Cookie like? I love when Cookie's great. It's real. It's wonderful. It's that was the first easy. record you've cut with her, isn't it? Well, yeah, I I worked on a few records with her where I had you know sang on it, and, oh, okay. and, and you yeah. know that's how she and I met. Is she invited me to do some background stuff and, mm-hmm. uh, on records, and I produced a record up there recently, and it helped you know work on some other projects. The first time that we recorded our music or any of my music with her, um, but I've always found Cookie to be. Um, very easy to work with. Cookie is a, is a, you know, what I would say, just an awesome producer because she gets out of the way. Her, her whole thing is let's just get rid of any blockages and, mm-hmm. and let's just make music. And that's, you know, and not only that, but she's incredibly encouraging, you know. I mean, I've worked with, with some engineers and producers where, you know, you go in and you play your heart out, you know, and, and you get nothing but just kind of, oh, yeah, oh, you know. Studios are a vulnerable place for anybody, right. and making your music in front of mics or whatever, it's wonderful to have somebody who is there to just remind you that yes, it's working. You know, you sound great. Just keep you know keep the spirit going, and let's mm-hmm. get out of the way and stop thinking. And you know, I mean, she so. was explaining her her recording process and her engineering process and how she modifies the headphone levels so you hear the right things. I. I was calling her a creativity catalyst. You know, she yeah. kind of facilitates that. Well, she's like. doing stuff that you don't quite even know. You yeah. know, and that's great. That's, a few like, people that's have what said a producer that. needs to do. Yeah. But also, you know, she she's hearing and thinking about stuff way, way down the road in the in the in the, in the scheme of things. Yeah. And that's that's you're not supposed to be doing that as a musician. You when you have somebody producing or engineering your project, you just want to know that they're taking care of that part. All I got to think about today is yeah. capturing the spirit and doing the best performance I can. Mm-hmm. And I know that this person sitting behind the board is going to be doing the exact same thing from their end, capturing it as much as they can technically. And you know, so working with her is is wonderful. You know, she's a she's a great great human being, and she's got a passion for natural music. You know, yeah. I think Cookie also really knows, like like Keith's saying. I think Cookie has a real great sense as an engineer of knowing. When she's done her job and there's nothing that needs to be done. I think one of the problems you run into a lot of times with engineers is that they almost feel compelled to keep doing Keep working. Keep right, right. And I think Cookie is, is a fantastic engineer in that she goes, okay, I've got a good sound. Roll the tape. I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. You know. And, and she really also, you know, the first thing she said to me when we first, uh, when Keith and I first recorded for Blue Post um, for the collection was... I basically put good microphones in front of good musicians and I run it to a good tape machine. That's what I do. You know, that's my <laughs> philosophy. She says, if that, you know, that should be good music. And she says, I figure I should have very little to do in the mix down, you know, because it should sound pretty good mm-hmm. already. And, and it's, a, it's a really great concept to apply, I think, for anyone who's doing home recording or anything to really think about you want to get the best sound that you can before you are mixing. In yeah. other words, if it doesn't sound good going to tape, don't, don't think or hope that you can clean it up later. You know, and that's something that Cookie is a great 
um, teacher of that technique of yeah. saying, hey, if it doesn't sound good right now, it's not going to, it's going to be a lot of work to get it to sound good later. It's like when I was studying video, the, the, I think the phrase was, never say we'll fix it in post. Right. You know, do it right when you're sticking it in. And that, know, yeah. You're recording it. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you can't maybe fix it in post, but don't have that be your, your plan. Right. You can always tweak. But yeah. Yeah. You don't want to fix it then. So, or you yeah. start copying and pasting and cutting, moving things around, then it sounds really... So for me as a, as a recording artificial. engineer myself, <laughs> working with Cookie was very, very uh, affirming because she really, really endorsed a oh, lot of that. my theories about you know where mics belong and why and capturing room sound and working with your environment more than, okay, we'll put the mic right on the guitar, we'll put this right up to your face and we'll, you know, we'll get as little background noise as possible and... and and frankly, I you know that's one way to make a record, but it's it's not a very natural way to make a record. Yeah. So, I just think I think she's a genius in that sense, in, in the minimalist approach. Less is more. Yeah. Mm. Let's hear a couple of things. Okay. Once again, Keith Greninger and Dan Kai around my kitchen table. That table has seen a lot of talent sitting around the last couple of years. I think there's some good some good mojo there. At least the acoustics are good. Uh, one thing I didn't mention earlier, I guess I'll backpedal, when Dan Kai and Steve Ocello, along with Art Alm, keyboard player, formed the group Water, the idea was that they would back up other songwriters and play on their own, and Keith Greninger's second solo CD after uh, leaving City Folk was called Keith Greninger and Water, and I'll link all those up on the Songs and Stories 85 and 86 section on michaelgaither.com, so you can go listen to those and pick them up, they're all just Everything that they do is just incredible, and it's really inspiring work. As is their new one, Make It Rain, which we're going to hear a little bit in part two. You know how this works. We're not done yet. This was part one, the, the chat about their work and the CD. Now we're going to uh, temporarily break, and then we'll come back in episode 86, and we'll hear a couple of songs from the new record. Uh, once again, this is Michael Gaither with Songs and Stories, and if you'd like to find out what's coming up on Songs and Stories, you can get on my email list by sending an email to michael at michaelgaither.com. Um, look for me on iTunes, listen on KC Cafe Radio every Saturday at 9 a.m. or Sunday at 6 p.m. There's a lot of places to find this, but uh, when in doubt, you can check out michaelgaither.com. And keep up on all these really cool interviews that I'm fortunate enough to do with some very talented people. So once again, thanks for your time. I appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next time on Songs and Stories. Take care.